0: Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. This is week five in the Kingdom Come series, and today's topic is recognizing the kingdom. The Bible reading is Matthew eleven one to nineteen, and the preacher is Linda Johnson.
1: So, Matthew chapter eleven, starting at verse one. After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples. He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what then can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's kind of nice to see you after two weeks of being at other responsibilities. Uh, So thank you for praying for us over these last couple of weeks and particularly uh, for last week at Synod. We appreciate the prayers and support of our people. Well, we're looking at Matthew 11. If you can have your Bible open, uh, it would be really good to have it there. Uh, So it's page uh, 976. I was going to say 967, but I knew that wasn't quite right. 976. How do you go... Recognising stuff, recognising things, recognising people. How do you go at recognition? Because it actually often happens, doesn't it, that you see somebody walking towards you and you go, ooh, you know you know them. And you know that they're walking towards you with this sense of, let's say hello and you don't know what name to say. Recognition is really important. Do you sometimes miss seeing a clue in a movie? You know, all the people around you get it. Do you miss a clue in a crime novel that you're reading? And when the final result is revealed, you go, how did that happen? Because you missed something important. Getting the full picture can sometimes be tricky, can't it? And not fully recognising something or somewhere or someone can sometimes cause issues. Well today's passage comes up with a bit of a surprise, maybe even a shock, because John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who had once declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God and had prepared the way for his coming, now for whatever reasons had questions about his messiahship. How was John the Baptist recognising Jesus? Was there something about this new kingdom that John was missing? Well, let's have a bit of a look at what's actually going on. The chapter begins with Jesus finishing instructing the twelve And then he went on to teach and preach across Galilee. You'll remember that last week in chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 and the words used there was with the following instructions. And then chapter 10 is those instructions. Well, chapter 11 begins with, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12. So we are to assume that the 12 have gone out doing what they've just been instructed to do, And then Jesus himself goes on to preach and to teach. Now, before we move on to the rest of this chapter, I just want to look at those three words for a little minute. Instructing, teaching, preaching. They're similar words, aren't they? But different. But different. The word translated instructing, uh, it is just that. It means to direct, uh, basically to give orders. It's about very clear direction. This is what I'm telling you to do, which is what Jesus was doing all of chapter 10, instructing his disciples. Teach also means to instruct. The Greek word is didasko, which is where we get didactic from. Any of you who are educators will get the importance of that it's very instructional teaching but Jesus also preaches which has the additional element of proclaiming to be a herald to extol something to summon to make an announcement so there is obviously with these things instructing teaching and preaching there is something very profound about what Jesus is doing here And John the Baptist hears about it while he's in prison. So John sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus whether or not he's the one. Is he the one they were expecting? Now in earlier parts of Matthew, we already have a clear idea of the type of guy that John the Baptist was. Very different to Jesus. John was stern. Focused on judgment. They were cousins, so they probably had a lot to do with each other as children. But as adults, John had gone out to the desert, become an ascetic. Fasting, praying, surviving in the wilderness. And when Jesus comes to him for baptism at the beginning of his ministry, John certainly knows who he is, doesn't he? And says that this should really be happening the other way around. He found it hard to understand why Jesus would receive a baptism intended for sinners. So now in chapter 11, John's question raises a problem because previously it's obvious that John had recognised Jesus' greatness. Why would he now be asking, are you the coming one? In his commentary, Leon Morris cites a few options that have been offered for why. Some have no real basis and would be just speculation, but there has been a suggestion that John himself wasn't in any doubt, but asked the question so Jesus could reassure his followers. Others think that John was only just becoming to believe in Jesus properly, but there's clear evidence that he's known Jesus' identity for a very long time. It's also been suggested that it wasn't so much John's faith that had begun to wane, but his patience. That's interesting. John had looked for Jesus to bring in the kingdom. But instead of doing this, he'd been teaching and healing and making no attempt to overthrow the rulers, bring in the rule of God. So maybe John was trying to prod Jesus, you know, to... Get something decisive happening here. Perhaps John was simply puzzled. After all, he'd prophesied great things about Jesus and specifically that he had spoken of judgment, but there was no sign of that coming. So was it really the Messiah's job to move among ordinary people, teaching them about the things of God and healing the sick? What sort of Messiah wouldn't do the religious stuff like fasting, but instead spend time with the irreligious. Maybe for John, the gospel that Jesus was preaching seemed more like bad news than good news. John's expectation was of a Messiah who would come to cleanse Israel of its sin and restore the kingdom to its former glory. John's method... Well, he called people vipers <laughs> and and was stern and said the axe is ready to cut down the tree. So was he beginning to wonder whether perhaps he'd got the wrong person? When John's disciples come to Jesus, though, what do they find? Well, Jesus is in the middle of healing lots of people, casting out demons, doing all the things that Jesus did. So he tells them to go back to John. Tell him what they've seen. The things he's doing are in fact the things it was foretold that the Messiah would do. The Old Testament is clear. Isaiah 61, Isaiah 35 that we heard read today say similar things. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and good news is preached to the poor. Maybe the trouble with John was that he'd got his Messianic expectation from popular tradition rather than from the Scriptures. The things that Jesus did were exactly what the Scriptures had foretold. People were being healed and the gospel was being proclaimed. The kingdom of God was being brought in, but quietly, by acts of mercy, rather than by military victory. But that wasn't all. As we read on, we discover that Jesus brought something even more significant. After John's disciples leave, Jesus turns to the crowd and asks them a series of questions about John the Baptist. What did they think of him? Did they see him as a great man, as one of God's prophets? Well, absolutely, yes, indeed, and Jesus really talks John up. In fact, he was the greatest of the prophets because he came to announce the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus goes on to add this intriguing statement. I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Remarkable. Who could be greater than the one God chose to announce the coming of the Messiah? He was greater even than Elijah or Elisha. But things have changed. The coming of the Messiah means the coming of A new way of looking at things. It means the coming of a new kingdom. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old order has been upset. So much so that those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John. This is truly an upside down kingdom. How could it be that those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John? Well, it may be twofold. Firstly, it may be because John belonged to the time of promise. He belonged to the kingdom of Israel, which was always looking forward to a new kingdom that God would establish and that would last forever. But secondly, it's because those who enter God's kingdom do so not because they're children of Abraham, but because they're adopted as children of God. In this kingdom, John is a servant, one whom God sends to announce a message, a most important servant, certainly. But the least of God's people in this new kingdom can call themselves sons and daughters of the king. And as such, of course, they're greater than John just as the child of a family will always be considered greater than the servant. And here's the really good news for those who hear this message and respond. It's free. When he talks about the least in the kingdom, he's not implying levels of rank. Rather, he's pointing out that whoever you are or might be in this world... However lowly you are in this world, in the kingdom of God, you're great. The gospel is good news. But to those who are perishing, it's bad news. Not because of the message, but because of the way it's received. Look how Jesus describes them. They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to others. We played the pipe for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And you see how he explains it then? The difference between John and Jesus. John came not eating and drinking, being like an ascetic and he was condemned. Jesus came eating and drinking reveling in parties with sinners, and they condemned that. No matter what John or Jesus did, there were those who were intent on rejecting the message, and the leaders were among those, the Pharisees. They were intent on rejecting the message. Do you know people like that today? who are intent on saying no without even fully understanding what it means. Maybe there are some here today, here in this church, who are closed to the good news of Jesus because it might mean a change in their lives. Well, Jesus implies a warning at the end of this passage when he talks about wisdom He says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And he also warns John's disciples in verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You see, there is a negative aspect to this gospel, this good news. The gospel is actually bad news for those who take offense at Jesus. Why? Because those who take offence at Jesus miss out on the blessings. Because those who take offence at Jesus will find themselves on the outside when he ushers in the new heaven and the new earth that the Father has promised at the end of time. The gospel is bad news for the foolish because wisdom is shown to be true by her deeds. In the long run, the wise path becomes obvious. It's like deciding whether to wear thongs or hiking boots when you're going on a trek. The wisdom of the choice will become clear very quickly. So too with deciding about the message of God's kingdom. My friends, is the gospel good news for you? Have you accepted it as the power of God for your own salvation? If not, is today the time to change your mind? For those of us who have accepted the gospel as good news, are we sharing it with others? Because it can only be good news for those who actually get to hear it. Let's recognise this kingdom help others to recognise it too. Amen. The Anglican Church Nusa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, Spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnusa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.